This is Ready to Real Estate, a TREB podcast. Each month, we interview experts in the field, discuss the data, and explore all facets of the housing market. Whether you're a first-time homebuyer or a seasoned real estate professional, you will benefit from our insightful conversations and gain property intelligence as we discover more about the key issues shaping our industry. Now here's our host, Jason Mercer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Ready to Real Estate. I'm your host, Jason Mercer, TREB's Chief Market Analyst. Immigration. We know it's key to Canada's economic development and population growth. But with the federal government setting annual national targets for immigration near the 500,000 mark over the next three years, some people are wondering, where will these newcomers live? Will they be able to find housing they want and need? And what will this mean for the cost of home ownership and rental units in an already tight market? With me today to help answer these questions and talk about how government policy can address them is Dr. Frank Clayton. He's a co-founder and senior research fellow at the Center for Urban Research and Land Development based at Toronto Metropolitan University. Welcome back to the podcast, Frank, and thanks for joining us today. I'm glad to be here, Jason. So let's jump right in. And, and around 500,000 new immigrants a year will be settling in Canada for the next three years with a record number settling in, in southern Ontario and by extension, the, the GTA and Greater Golden Horseshoe. Could you maybe start by laying out a few of the challenges that will affect people who want to find homes in the GTA and GGH as the population continues to grow? Well, uh, immigrants or migrants from other parts of Canada <clears throat> I've always had a challenge when they come to Toronto because Toronto has been a fairly high cost uh, jurisdiction and uh, and they, uh, you know, they have to uh, accommodate, you know, f- accommodate their housing desires and uh, against their budgets and so on. So immigrants in particular uh, have traditionally been lower income to start out um, uh, and uh, they went to the rental accommodation, but often what they've done is double up with uh, family relatives already friends who are already in Canada or they uh, have to go to the, the areas where the housing cost is the least expensive, such as uh, apartments in uh, Scarborough that were built in the 60s and uh, early, early 70s. Uh, but they, they have to, and this is always a, a, a situation for immigrants. Uh, there's, there's a reception <laughs> a challenge for them because they, they're coming to a new country, a new place, and they, uh, they, 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 want, they need inexpensive housing. So they get the, the most, the inexpensive housing is really the lower quality housing. And I mean, is, is there a, a, a geographic uh, perspective to this as well? I mean, the GTA and even broader Greater Golden Horseshoe. I mean, these are large areas that got a lot of different uh, uh, neighborhoods and, and and municipalities therein. So, um, you know, thinking about newcomers moving to our region, um, you know, how much is it focused on, on 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 certain areas with certain characteristics versus you know widespread throughout? Okay, there are two stream of immigrants that we have to look at. One is what we call permanent landed immigrants, uh, and the other is temporary immigrants who are mostly students, maybe some temporary workers, but we have a lot, you know, thousands of tens of thousands of students uh, uh, coming into the, the Greater Toronto area. Um, what we find is the latest uh, Stats Canada uh, data shows that immigrants really go to two places within the, the overall region, uh, City of Toronto, Peel region. <laughs> yeah, that's 85% of the immigrants go to those two areas. So that's where the pressure is really, really felt. 
And those, in a way, it makes sense because these are the two areas that have the oldest housing stock as well. And they, they have a lot of apartments. And, uh, and they, of course, they have uh, historically have, uh, accommodated a lot of immigrants. So that's where they, they tend to, that's where the pressure from immigrants is, is really in those two uh, jurisdictions. Now, you've mentioned the, the historic sort of flow of immigrant households into our region. And, and one of the things you mentioned is that, you know, a lot of these households will initially choose to, to move into rental accommodation, and then some of them will move into home ownership at, at some point down the road. So I'd like to talk more specifically about uh, the rental market. Um, and, and so, I mean, we're, we're, we're predicting to see, um, you know, a tight rental market in our region, you know, over the next number of years. And, and, and certainly one of the, um, you know, one of the, the issues underlying this is, is, is strong population growth, but, but specifically thinking of newcomers, um, how do you see that impacting the rental market? And I guess sort of what segments or, or tranches of the rental market in particular? Okay, there's again, you have to segment the, the immigrants because a lot of them now are what we call economic immigrants. They right. do have jobs and so on, but still they're not high income necessary to be paid when they start out and so on. So mostly immigrants would want affordable rental housing. And that, of course, conflicts because with the existing population wanting affordable rental housing as well. Uh, so, so that uh, it just puts added pressure on that side of the market. Uh, uh, so, if, you know, if they compete with uh, residents already here who want rental accommodation, that just means that uh, the, the rents on the vacancy decontrolled units and so on will be higher than they otherwise would have because vacancy rates are nil. I mean, they're virtually zero. And, and so if you added more pressure, like add another 100,000 immigrants, and all our population growth, by the way, in the greater Toronto area, you know, all, almost all of it, in fact, is immigrants. So this is a very, very important factor in the on, on the housing market. So that it's really the affordable rental housing stock, which is in short supply, because what's happening as far as affordable rental housing stock is, normally there is a, a kind of a filtering down, filtering up process going on where somebody starts out, you know, with an affordable rental unit, they move into something better, then they gradually get in the home, you know, they buy their first home, and those units that they vacate becomes available for somebody else who can afford, you know, can't afford a, a lot of housing. But what's happened with the price structure, the affordability problem challenge we have in the on home, home ownership side right now is that people aren't moving. So therefore that even puts more pressure on that affordable housing stock because it's not becoming available for the people who need it. Uh, Middle-income people are staying put. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's a terrible experience. I mean, here we got the federal government uh, saying, no, let's bring in another 100,000, 150,000 people, but they don't provide any housing <laughs> for them. You would think there'd be kind of a cost-benefit analysis. If it's a benefit to have all these immigrants, which is fine, then provide housing <laughs> uh, for them. Uh, the problem right now is that the, the burden for the housing goes on the municipalities and the uh, uh, and the provinces and the federal government sort of just up there saying, okay, let's just increase the flow without worrying about the consequences. Yeah. And, and, you know, if you think about, I, I think it's been a dual burden on the, on the rental market over the, over the last uh, few years. And certainly as we move through 2022 and into 2023, because on the one hand, you're right, there's an economic development imperative to see the population grow um, in our region, in the GTA and, 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 and GGH. And, and so people move here, they take on jobs, they start businesses and, and, and what have you. And I think everyone uh, gets that. Um, and, and so obviously they all require 
desire a place to live. Yet at the same time, thinking about the rental market in particular, um, you know, we've also seen this sort of cyclical shift away from ownership housing because of higher borrowing costs um, and, and into rental as well, which has resulted in, in a real tightening in the rental market over the over the last year. We saw that in the latest uh, vacancy rate release from, uh, from, from CMHC. And so, you know, you're right. You know, all levels of the of government, from federal through provincial down through the municipal, over the last uh, election cycle, over the last couple of years, um, have all certainly acknowledged um, that 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 the housing supply is an issue. But we haven't seen any real movement in terms of shovels in the ground. So, from your perspective, you know, what are some of the things that can be done to to fix the the housing supply problem? But you know, let's talk first about rental. Well, I, I on the rental side, the 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 most obvious uh, uh, policy, in my view, is, a, is a, based on a study we did for uh, uh, Trev back uh, uh, three or four years ago on missing middle housing, is that there's a tremendous potential of creating affordable rental housing units in existing houses, secondary suites. Right. Uh, and, they're all, and now they're legal. Uh, the province said throughout the province, uh, the provincial government has said uh, legal, uh, secondary suites are legal, subject to municipal uh, regulations and municipal regulations are still very, very onerous. Um, but instead of uh, spending a lot of money on new rental housing, which is costs a lot per unit, um, maybe the government should be thinking both federal and provincial. More what BC is starting to look at is giving grants, loans, interest-free loans to owners to put uh, a second suite in their house. Uh, so that, that could be uh, done fairly quickly and it could have a quite a, a very large impact because you have know, a lot of single detached houses out there and a lot of uh, uh, homeowners who would, would probably love to have a, an income stream coming from a, a, a unit. So, so to me, that's, that's the fastest way and the uh, most productive way of getting uh, rental housing built. Now, what we did back in the early 2000s was a different situation. Uh, uh, back that was a golden era <laughs> for housing affordability. And CMHC did a big study uh, uh, not too long ago, saying that if we what would be required to get affordability back to what it was in 2003, 2004, and we would need thousands of new housing units, which is not you know practical to think of, of that number. But back in those days, what happened was first-time buyers started moving out of rental units in large numbers in the early 2000s. And vacancy rates actually went up. We didn't build any more rental housing, but vacancy rates went up to the 4% level. Uh, now, we don't have that escape valve this time because right. um, we, we have, haven't got the land to build the kind of housing that people want. Uh, and it's going to come gradually with some of the provincial initiatives now. So we, we're in a real bind right now because you know, we, just, uh, we don't have the land supply to build a lot of new housing fast other than 80-story uh, you know, apartment buildings. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't want those. So the rental market's going to stay very, very tight uh, uh, as long as immigrants keep coming in large numbers. Uh, we're going to have extremely tight rental market, and hopefully affordability will gradually improve. Uh, and then first time, you know, first renters, first time buyers will move out of rental housing uh, into the ownership markets, uh, uh, which is only a, only a really relief valve there is for the rental market right now. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up the study that you had done for us, and we also had one done by by Urban Strategies. Um, you know, looking at more of the design aspect of of uh, you know housing within existing neighborhoods, so that sort of missing middle concept, and that could be, as you say, like uh, ancillary units. 
uh, basement units, but also, you know, the ability to, to build, uh, you know, plexes and stack townhomes and what have you uh, in existing neighborhoods as well. And, and, and we have seen some movement on that front uh, at the municipal level this week. There's an announcement that, uh, from the city of Toronto that, you know, they're moving ahead with the uh, the 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 ability to to build this type of housing in neighborhoods and so you know I I I think we're headed in the right direction but you're right it, it's a real sort of numbers game in terms of being able to bring on enough volume not only to to make up for the for the rental and and broader housing supply deficit that we've seen uh in the in the, in the past but also obviously accounting for the population growth we're expecting over the over the next number of years yeah, the uh, um, we do have another relief valve that's taking place, but it's not enough to over offset the immigration. We're now having a net outflow from the Toronto region and Ontario westward to Alberta, particularly. Uh, but the numbers are, you know, within the context of the number of immigrants is pretty small. The other uh, movements that's taking place is that people are moving out of the greater Toronto area to other parts of Ontario. And uh, if you look at the latest data on intra-provincial migration, which is migration within the province, uh, GTA and the Greater Golden Horseshoe are losing people to other parts of the province. So there is those kind of, that's the kind of reaction that people have. But so the people who are living in the area already are looking for uh, uh, cheaper housing and moving out or moving, moving westward. But the numbers, the immigrant numbers are just so powerful that there's just no way we can produce enough housing for them in the short term. Yeah, I mean, that's in both the, the rental and the ownership market. And I don't want to shift gears a little bit and talk about ownership because, you know, as you said, a, a lot of newcomers um, will will choose to rent first. And, 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 and certainly a lot of, you know, initial new household formation um, from, say, young people that were born here also move into the rental market, but eventually into, into ownership as well. Um, and, and so let's talk a little bit about what happens when when renters want to become first time buyers. And, and we found in our latest round of, of polling with Ipsos um, that the, the desire to buy a home um, it, it is increasing on the part of first time buyers, uh, um, you know, looking forward through 2023 compared to what we saw last year. And so while, you know, the impact of high borrowing costs uh, were certainly an impediment, I think you are seeing an increasing number of would-be first-time buyers are, are, are coming to terms with higher borrowing costs. And on top of that, you know, thinking about the, the, the theme of immigration, we've also found through our Ipsos polling that there's a higher propensity to buy amongst immigrant households versus people who were born here. So again, you know, added pressure on the ownership market as well. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on the ownership market. And one of the things your surveys also show is that when people, and not just first-time buyers, but when people, because you need the move-up buyers uh, to move up <laughs> as well to make the more affordable uh, units available, houses and condominiums available to uh, first-time buyers. Um, but your surveys also show that 80%, and this has been very constant over the last number of years, 80% of, of, uh, of people who say they expect to buy a house in the next couple of years want a, what I call, ground-related housing unit single, semi, or townhouse. Right. And, you know, we had a government before the pre, the current government uh, that said, we don't want single detached houses. <laughs> and, and now we got a situation where even the, the regional planning commissioners of, of Ontario come up with a report saying, we don't need, we don't need a lot of uh, more land for housing because, you know, we got all kinds of land, but it's all for apartments. So we, we as a society have to decide whether we want everybody to be in an apartment <laughs> or we're gonna allow people to have some say in the kind of housing they want. So the environmentalists or the politicians gonna decide 
what kind of housing people live in, or are you going to be some kind of compromise? And that's where your stacked townhouses and so on comes in. It's a it's an it's a close substitute to a single detached housing, but a eighty story apartment building isn't. So if we don't build the right product, we're still going to have these problems uh, of uh, uh, very very high housing prices. Yeah, and it's an interesting point because you know thinking back again to the to the study that Urban Strategies did for us, and and it was kind of on the heels of of the work that you had done the previous year, I believe. Um, and and what they showed is a lot of the quote unquote missing middle housing. Um, you know whether we're talking about being built in existing neighborhoods or or being built in in, in new developments looks really good. And and certainly I encourage all the listeners to go to our website and and look up that study. And so I I think you're right. There are opportunities to sort of match what people's preferences are, uh, um, you know, according to the surveys we're doing with, you know, some alternative types of housing to a traditional single detached home. Um, but, you know, certainly looks closer to a detached home than say a condominium apartment. And so, you know, there, there is room for improvement in that regard. And, and uh, um, you know, it looks like we may be heading more in that direction, at least in the city of Toronto with their housing policies that have unfolded over the last year or so. Well, they're moving very, very slowly. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's not going to have much impact really uh, 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 for a long time because they're just going so slowly. Uh, and and I saw one uh, one reference recently about the economics of building uh, a triplex. Yeah. You know, the rest, the prices would have to be so high that people might, might not want them. Where we go for them in the place. It's not going to be affordable housing. It's going to be a higher higher priced housing. So. Uh, um, so we've got to, you know, if we're, if, if we're going to do existing areas, we've got to basically take a whole single attached area, I hate to say this, and, and put five or six story apartment, allow five or six story apartment buildings in, in a big way, not just three or four units, but allow, allow, allow four or five property, you know, single detached homeowners to get together, make a killing by selling the property to, to a developer who wants to put a, a, you know, a five or six story building on it. And then you'll start getting units, the number of units built in, in the build-up areas. But otherwise, it's going to be pretty pretty slow. Yeah, and that kind of development, I don't expect to see on mass anytime soon. So it's a it's a good point. But um, look, I want to get to some of the 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 research that you've released recently um, through Toronto Metropolitan University and your center, uh, uh, and, and and you published. Uh, a, a report saying that there is a, an affordability crisis, which is exceedingly impacting low-income households, um, and, and it's being misaddressed. And, and you went on to say that things like housing subsidies are are currently benefiting middle-income but not lower-income households. Um, and so, if current attempts to to fix the affordability crisis aren't the right answers for for lower-income households, I guess what are? Because because so far we've been talking about sort of people you know, moving into to rental housing and, and then many of them on into the regular market uh, based ownership market. But, you know, some some households, particularly at the at the lower income levels, aren't able to follow that, you know, traditional progression. So what, what needs to be done there? Well, OK, we got to distinguish, you know, people talk about affordable housing and they, they don't define what they mean by affordable housing. <laughs> There's two different affordable housing challenges. One is the low-income people. No matter what the housing cost structure is, we have poverty. We have people that have incomes too low. So even if housing prices and rents relative to average incomes uh, are, are reasonable, like they were, you know, 20 years ago or so, um, they, they, that, that's um, the low-income people have a problem. But what we've got in the Toronto region and Vancouver and, and other parts of Canada now is that house prices and rents relative to incomes of the population 
the households in the population are very high. So that's an affordability problem. I call it affordability problem for the middle income group. So what governments are doing is say, oh yeah, we got to help that middle income group. So we're going to you know, do our affordable housing. So the city of Toronto housing now and the CMHC program to stimulate private rental housing, their, their definition of affordable housing is something just below market rent. Okay, that helps the middle income. It doesn't help the low income people. So by subsidizing that middle income group, you're taking money away that could have gone to help low income group. And the way to help middle income group is to just accelerate the supply of housing. Forget, doesn't matter what kind it is or how many units or what price range they are, just accelerate the supply. And that's the planning process. The planning process with the province is trying to accelerate and it's starting to move, it's moving in that direction. But it's such a challenge because we, the planning process, we did some analysis of land and Halton region. And it took up to almost 16, 17 years from the time Greenfield land got designated for residential development till a house was actually built on it. So that's the kind of time lags are in the, in the system. So somehow we just got to get wide open, you know, free zoning of large areas uh, and so on and just get the supply. Because the industry will, will respond. We'll get more immigrants, construction workers. They'll work on weekends. <laughs> You know, the manufacturers will put two shifts on rather than one shift. I mean, the, 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 the industry reacts to, to, um, to profits. Uh, land, unfortunately, is, is governed by gov you know, municipal and provincial governments. The government the supply of land and how much comes on and what kind of land comes on. And it's not subject to the market process at all. So we just got to get that process wide open, get more market friendly. And it's a big challenge, but it's a challenge right across the, uh, much of Canada, it's a challenge in Australia, New Zealand, uh, England, uh, and, and so on. So it's a, the way our historic planning process got started. And uh, uh, But that, that's the way to help the middle class, just get a lot more units on the market. <laughs> uh, and then have the money go to the, the low-income people. And it, it would also be a filtering too, wouldn't it? Because if, if you had more homes uh, coming online and a greater supply coming online, you'd have more affordable options in, in sort of the market-based housing sphere uh, uh, that these households could move into, which would also leave a greater supply of, of, of housing for people at, at lower income levels, which could then be augmented um, by, by the government subsidies you're speaking about. Absolutely. You, the government cannot subsidize everybody. <laughs> we don't have the money. It's you know, we got some other priorities. Uh, 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 to spend m money on at the government level. <clears throat> um, but, uh, you know, this really, if you go back to the early 2000s, we, we had a golden era. <laughs> we had, you know, from, from the, the latter eight, uh, 80s, when the last time we had a housing crunch because of land supply being too sh short, and we had this exuberance uh, uh, on, uh, on everybody wanted to buy a house and prices went crazy. Uh, then we, but, but the province said, we got to bring more land on the market. So right. during the 1990s, a lot more land came on the market and consequently, when the market turned around the latter 90s, we had the land available, we had uh, the production could, uh, could go up, and people, housing stayed affordable for, for a number of years. Interest rates were coming down, um, and it was just, I call it the golden area. But that filtering process certainly worked then, because as, we, as I mentioned, uh, rental vacancy rates actually went up from about 1.5% to 4%, just because first time, people were moving from rental into first time, uh, uh, becoming first-time buyers. 
Well, I think you read my mind, Frank, because that's a nice segue into the last question I had for you here, which is, you know, how could we have another golden era for, for housing and housing supply? Because here we are in 2023. We've recently had federal, provincial and municipal elections, as I mentioned before. Everyone's at least paying lip service to the notion that, you know, we need to see more housing supply come online. Um, so, so how do we get to that golden era where we're actually seeing, you know, housing supply coming online that, that, that's meeting the, the demographic? Uh, requirements. Okay, the only way is to make housing a, 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 a much higher ranking in the priorities of the of the, the politicians, <clears throat> and uh, bring down. I hate to say it, but bring down the priority that everybody's got now on equity, inclusion, environmental, all these other things, because they all most of these things have a negative impact, particularly the environmental uh, on, on housing affordability. So instead of having it all, it has to be one or the other. There's got to be a compromise. The housing affordability, because the environmental constraints, you know, keeping, you know, having no development on farmland, having no expansion of urban boundaries, which is a big kind of movement uh, for the environmental uh, environmentalists. Uh, that means that we just won't have the kind of housing built that people want. And so you've got to, if we're going to have a growth of 150,000 people in the greater Toronto area uh, over the next few, uh, annually over the next few years. We've got to go up and go out, and let's just recognize that. But going out doesn't mean 50-foot lots and very low densities. It means what they're doing in North Oakville or even Canada up in, uh, in Ottawa, where they're building a mix of very small lot singles, a lot of townhouses, a lot of stacked townhouses. And so the densities are fairly high, and they can support transit if the transit was there for, for those areas. So that's the kind of thing we just got to open it up a lot faster, a lot more, and and that's what the province is trying to do. For example, on the uh, on the taking some of the lands from the greenbelt, they want to take the priority development lands where servicing can be put in very very fast and bring housing on the market quicker, more quickly. And that's got to be done in a very broad. Not that we want to go more in the green. We don't need the greenbelt other than for some key key uh, locations. Uh, but we 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 got to get a lot more. You know, we got to bring get more friendly about bringing more more land on the market. And maybe that's the compromise, right? Because on the one hand, I don't think anyone would argue that that you know, for a region to develop from an economic perspective, we need the population growth. We need the the, the new households moving into our region from all around the world. They're taking advantage of all the opportunities. But in order for that to be sustained over the long term, you know, we need to see the housing supply catch up. And so maybe the compromise between the environmental side of things and the need to you know provide a a huge number of of, of new homes over the next. Uh, a decade is that you know we are paying attention to you know new and more innovative types of development and mid density and and what have you versus this sort of dichotomy between traditional single family um, and, and, and apartments because you know from that perspective at least you know you you would be seeing greater densities and less land use because you've you've embraced um, you know uh, a greater diversity of options in terms of housing. Right. Uh, there's one one other policy that could be brought in, uh, which I'm not sure the federal government would do, but reduce immigration, not not keep increasing that because we don't have the infrastructure. We don't have the housing in Vancouver or Toronto or Montreal to some less lesser degree to to uh, to fund this. So maybe we should be level you know, until we can get some policies in place to produce a lot more housing for the immigrants. Uh, and maybe we need some kind of transitional housing. When immigrants come to uh, Toronto, they, they, they get housing that's owned by the federal government <laughs> that they live in for two years before they go out in the, the uh, marketplace. But 
the thing is you can't keep increasing immigration uh, and not in increasing the infrastructure. And, and we're, we're increasing immigration too fast, I, I, to my way of thinking, relative to the infrastructure. So we're, always, we're not going to get rid of the problem because, uh, because of this. Yeah, it's an interesting debate that I think sort of applies, you know, to at the different levels of government. So whereas the uh, the tap in terms of immigration, that's controlled by the federal government, yet, you know, the housing supply tap is really at the provincial government, you know, provincial policy statement, planning act down to the individual municipalities who, who apply it. So, you know, it, it would be an interesting debate to say, well, look at obviously from an economic development perspective, the provinces, the individual municipalities, they want to see population growth, but at the same time, they need to prove that they're able to accommodate it. Otherwise, we're going to be in this vicious circle of eroding housing affordability, which is has become obviously a, a real, you know, hot button third rail political issue. Yeah, I guess the other way would be what they did after the Second World War. I can remember my hometown of Woodstock is that uh, we, we got we had Dutch immigrants come in, for example, and they had to go on the farm for so many years. They had to go to Woodstock <laughs> to the mm. farm. That's if they came to Canada to go there. So maybe we, we start saying that instead of, you know, everybody wanting to come, to, they want to come to Toronto, Vancouver and Montreal, that they they can't go to Toronto. They have to go someplace else <laughs> for the first two or three years or something like that, uh, because get the pressure. Somehow we got to get the demand pressure off so supply can have some chance of catching up. Yeah, I mean, certainly a lot to chew on there. And Frank, I want to thank you very much for, for sharing your important research and just your, you know, your wealth of knowledge on, on the housing policy debate and that you've built over, you know, many decades. So, you know, again, really appreciate you coming on the show again with us today. Oh, you're welcome, Jason. Glad to be here. Thanks very much. And, and make sure all of you don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Trev's Ready to Real Estate podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks again for joining us. And we'll see you again next time. That's it for us. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Also, don't forget to follow us on social media and visit our website, treb.ca. That's T-R-R-E-B to find market insights and more. This has been another episode of Ready to Real Estate. Thanks for tuning in.